This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Well, we have to conclude this conversation about Jerome Garces, the referee who oversaw the Rugby World Cup final between South Africa and England. South Africa had a very detailed plan. My argument is that it's a bit academic. I think a little bit maybe is being made of this, a little bit too much in the sense that South Africa flat out were no. just by far the better side. 100%. Even, even if it had come down to a decision like in the Lions test where there was a last minute penalty decision, is all this effort really going to pay off? No, but it's, it's not. Well, again, it's leaving no stone unturned because it might. Why not do it? Why not, when you're sat, as Razi Erasmus did, the Springboks coach, the then Springboks coach with his team, and, and I would imagine all coaching staff at the start of a planning cycle say, listen, let's leave no stone unturned, marginal gains and all that nonsense we've talked about with Sir Dave Brailsford before. That is something you try and win, you try and get that extra percent. And if someone has said, listen, you know what? We should probably delve into the personalities of the referees just to get an understanding and an idea of how we can help maybe get that one or two favourable decisions that could turn a game of that magnitude on its head. So whilst I agree with you wholeheartedly, South Africa were the better team that day, no doubt about it, 32-12 victory over your beloved England. That being said, having that little ace joker, it means you can walk away from a match knowing you have left it all out there. There was nothing you could have done to have changed the outcome. Yeah, you have to look at every factor, right, as you're creating a strategy. And the ref is a huge factor in any game because you can't assume that people are unbiased. Nobody is unbiased. Mm -hmm. Everybody has some sort of hidden bias. And again, it may not be something that is overtly shown in the way that they make their decisions. But there's so much technology in the decision-making process these days. The ref is, is not just the guy making the decision in rugby he's he's talking to people on his headset he's reviewing decisions on video i, I mean i don't understand i don't really see where he's making a no, big call no, but, that would have gone one way but then suddenly goes the other because someone complimented oh, but not every decision is not 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 every decision is is poured over if he decides that there's a penalty penalty in the scrum for example the tmo isn't going to say Jerome, you got that wrong. They are the small, that's the small details mm. that we're talking about. And if, as you say, you might think it's small fry, but saying, complimenting him, if they, they're, they've done their due diligence, they've done their research, and if they've found that Jerome's the kind of guy that likes being complimented, you would be giving him compliments because, as I say, that one decision that could go against you or go for you could change the outcome. On this occasion, it didn't, but absolutely, you leave, I go back to it, you leave nothing to chance. At World Cups, and that it's getting more and more like that. And I think you know this isn't anything new. It's one small chapter in a book, The Miracle Men, a new book on South Africa's win. But it just shows you the level of detail that Razi and his team went to. What what amazes me is that you have incredibly successful teams like that who go to that insane level of detail, and then you've got a team like Spain ahead of the 2018 FIFA World Cup who just fire their coach because he's going to go and work for Real Madrid mm-hmm. a, a week before the, you, have a t- you have a complete departure from any sanity. Yeah. You know, I don't understand. You know, like, and Spain have obviously, it's not like they're, they're a minnow in the international game. They're the 2010 World Cup winners. They're one of the most successful teams in the last 20 years. And they can make a decision like that. But when you say they, that decision ultimately boils down to one, two, three individuals. Bad decisions can be made. And, you know, again, not not to defend the decision to, to sack Julian Lopetegui, who went to Real Madrid, didn't last 
six months and of course won the, the Europa League with Sevilla a couple of weeks back but on that and in that instance there was obviously a level of arrogance there. They felt that the players were good enough that it didn't really matter who was in charge. And in the end, was it Fernando Hierro? Yeah, that's charge? right. Yeah, Fernando Hierro. Fernando, the former Real Madrid skipper, uh, legend of the football club who took over. And of course, we all know what happened. Spain were wretched and they bowed out pretty quickly from that World Cup. So, I mean, listen, you, you, you live and die by your decisions. I kind of applaud South Africa. And I'm sure it's not new. I'm sure if Eddie Jones and we don't know all you know, Eddie Jones, the All Blacks, and as CK saying, it's not a game changer. All great captains know the refs and how to get on their good side. Richie McCall, Martin Johnson, we're great at it, says CK, who is a proud Kiwi. The Sass, the Saffas have just taken it to a slightly weird stalking level, but it worked. Kind it of. did. It certainly did. The president of Barcelona allegedly, reportedly, offering to step aside if Messi reverses his decision, his demand that he leaves the Camp Nou. We don't know exactly whether how how uh, the veracity of these reports. We need to to follow up on that. But it's certainly it's getting to a point where. Barcelona need to need to act and they need to act pretty they quickly. Certainly do, and, and one lady who is better versed than us because well she is living and breathing it right now. I'm delighted to say for the first time in actual fact on off script extra time we can cross live to Barcelona where we can talk to Semra Hunter. She is the host of La Liga TV and Semra, we say a very good. It will be evening with you. Two hours behind, twenty past five. Good evening to you, Semra. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed. We are, as you can probably hear from my voice, we're all a rather a bit giddy with this declaration <laughs> from Lionel Messi that he may or may not be leaving Barcelona. Sum up the mood for us. What is that city, or at least the, the blue and red half of the city, how are they feeling at the moment? Oh, well, I think just about as confused and upset and angry and deceived as you can possibly imagine, this is like a ping pong match going back and forth. I mean, as you say, the news just broke within the last hour from a Catalan television network by the name of TV TV3, um, basically saying that reportedly Bartomeu uh, is going to step down with the two conditions that one, Messi comes out and publicly says that Bartomeu is the problem, and two, that Messi says that he'll stay. Now, it seems a bit ludicrous that you would have to put Messi in that position for Bartomeu to step down. And it does seem like a bit of a power play here. And a lot of people immediately, the reaction is they're not happy whatsoever. They think that this is Bartomeu trying to make Messi look bad if, in fact, he does decide to leave. Um, they're not at all happy with the way that this is, this is unfolding over here in Barcelona. They're angry enough as it is with the idea that Messi's so fed up with the way that the club is run and the way things have been going for the last few years that he wants to leave. So we've seen fans in the last 24 hours take to the streets outside of the Camp Nou. It started uh, about, yeah, about 24 hours ago, let's say. About 300 of them with their signs. They were protesting. They were uh, chanting for Bartomeu to leave. They wanted Messi to stay. That stayed through to yesterday, throughout the day as well. Um, so there's a very large vocal part of the fan base that is just very, very unhappy with, uh, with the way things are going right now. But by that same token, curiously enough, there's another part of the uh, Barca fan base that actually defends Bartomeu and feels that it just might be the right time for Messi to go. He's 33 years old. He's heading into the final years uh, in elite football, let's say. He's given the club 
just about everything he possibly can. It's been 20 years in total at the club, 15 with the first team, 34 different trophies, 634 goals. Uh, and obviously he's one of the best players in the history, not just of the club, but of, of football. So very mixed reactions. It's certainly very interesting to see how all of this unfolds. And as you say, Barcelona, they need to act and they need to do something quickly about this. So it's, it's all very interesting. Uh, I mean, with the last time, Semra, that we saw them on the pitch, an utter shambles in that defeat, 8-2 to Bayern Munich yes. in the Champions League. And, and obviously that will have hurt so much more because it compounded the loss last year to Liverpool and the year before that to Roma. And in your opinion, in your esteemed opinion, has Lionel Messi lost faith with Barcelona's ability to do what he wants to do, which is to lift that trophy again. He said it, he gave a speech in the Camp Nou saying that that's the one that they want to get back. The fact that they've ceded La Liga title to their bitter rivals, Real Madrid. Is Bartomeu going, going to resolve anything in Lionel Messi's mind, do you think? No, I don't think so, personally. Um, so this is sort of like a two-part answer. So uh, Victor Font, who is one of the front runners to be the next president of Barcelona, he was on Spanish radio the other day. He says that he spoke to Messi's people and claims that Messi is very firm in his decision to leave. However, there is that small grain of doubt that perhaps if Bartomeu were to leave, Messi would stay. Even still, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think this time it's gone a little bit too far, let's say, because in the past there have been several occasions where Messi has said, I'm thinking about leaving, I'm not happy here, maybe it's time to move on. But that's always led to a better contract. This time, I think the anger runs so deep and I think he's so unhappy the way that, uh, as he said, when he thought Liverpool was going to be the worst, yeah. actually this happened against Bayern Munich and now it is really rock bottom. And Piquet said that as well after the game. And Messi has spoken in the last month or so, two months, uh, as well to media and said very openly that this is a team that no longer compete, uh, no longer competes. They make it too easy for for other proposing teams to attack them, to score against them, to beat them, and he's not at all happy. He said at the very beginning of the season, if he's not part of a winning project, he'll leave. And Barcelona has demonstrated that unfortunately they're just not a winning uh, project anymore. So I think he only has a few years left, really to win a Champions League, which is something he hasn't done in the last five years. And we all know that he's obsessed with winning that competition once again. So if Manchester City, as an example, offer a better um, sporting option for him, a better project and a way forward, then I think it's very likely that he probably will go. Yeah, let's get to that, Semra, because uh, there has been one or two reports saying already that uh, a certain Pep Guardiola has spoken to Lionel. Of course, Lionel himself has said previously that Pep was like a footballing father figure to him. They, of course, won their two European Cups, 2009 and 11. Let's be frank about this. Of all the options, and I'm sure there'll be many on the table for Lionel Messi, Man City with Pep, with Ferran Soriani, with Chichi Bergestein as well. That mm -hmm. is the best option for him right now, isn't it? I think so. If he's not going to stay at Barcelona, which, let's be honest, there's still a very real chance that he could stay, whether he wants to or not, because of legal implications, which, if you want, we can talk about uh, in a minute. But if he does go, Manchester City does seem like a very logical place for him to go because of the reasons you already stated and for the fact that if anybody can get the best 
out of Messi. We already have seen that Guardiola was the one to do it, and it was very possible he could do the same again. And let's not forget, Guardiola also wants to win the Champions League again. He hasn't done so since his time with Barcelona. And this could be the missing piece, that missing link, that will actually help get Guardiola to win that competition once again with another team, this time with Manchester City. And so there's the language factor as well, too. I mean, yes, okay, Messi, he doesn't speak English, and I'm sure he'll get by just fine with Spanish. I mean, there's enough people in that club that speak Spanish as well. I don't think it'd be as much of an issue. But certainly, if he's going to go to England, it makes more sense that he's in an environment where he feels comfortable, where he can communicate, and that will certainly help to get the best out of him as well, he's got Kun Aguero, who is one of his closest friends, who also is one of his teammates at Argentina. Um, so that certainly is a big help. And I think he's been trying to convince Messi to come along for the last few years as well. And I think it's always been in the back of the mind of the likes of Soriano or Bergestein to try and bring Messi at some stage as well, too. So I do think it's a very logical place for him to go. Obviously, for those of us who watch La Liga, it'd be very, very dis- disappointing and disheartening to see him go and to leave. But if that's what he ultimately decides to do and he's not happy at Barca, then there's no sense in keeping somebody who doesn't want to be there, you quick, know. So, we'll see. Quick final one from me, Semra, and it's great insight. It's, sure. it's fantastic to speak to you. Just on the legal front, it would seem to me time is of the essence. The new season is, is not far away and yet there is going to be mm-hmm. this standoff between what, what is in Messi's get-out clause or his release clause in the contract, which I believe expired earlier this year at the end of when the season was supposed to finish versus this whole pandemic situation, which has led to this curtailed, belated late season, whereby he's now claiming he's still eligible to, to leave as a free agent. How do you anticipate that playing out if indeed it comes down to that? It's going to come down to the small print which is obviously something none of us have seen because it's a strictly confidential and it's between Messi and, and the club. But it will come down to the specific wording of how that clause is written. Because as you say, uh, it, it, Messi and Barcelona, they're looking at this, they're interpreting that clause in very different ways. So back in 2017, when he renewed his contract, he put that clause in to say that unilaterally at the end of every season, he could leave on a free transfer as long as he communicated it before May 31st. So that's where things get tricky this season, because as you already mentioned, because of the coronavirus, La Liga didn't finish before May 31st. It finished at the end of July in the Champions League in August. So their argument is that because it was such a strange and unusual year, and season that they should still be allowed to activate that clause until the end of August 31st. But the club are saying, no, sorry, we gave you an extension until June 10th. You didn't say anything. Therefore, you're not allowed to activate it. So as far as they're concerned, he still has a release clause of 700 million euros, which nobody's going to pay. We all know that. And at best, maybe they'll sell him for somewhere around... Uh, well, they sold Neymar 222 million euros. They probably would like to get a little bit more if they can, but given that Messi is older than Neymar is, uh, was whenever he left, maybe it could be between 100 and 150 million euros. Yeah. And Barcelona, they, they desperately need the money too. Financially, they're in a very, very, very big hole. So it's not just about the money that they would bring in by selling him. It's also offloading the 100 million euro pre-tax uh, salary that that he's earning so it's, it's 
it's fascinating, really. Listen, Semra, I've got to say, bless you, because I know you're a, a woman in high demand, host of La Liga TV. You've spared <laughs> 10 minutes to have this little natter with us over here in Dubai this evening. Now, so in a word, in your opinion, Semra, Messi, a Barcelona player next season, yes or no? Uh, heart says... Barca, head says Manchester City. Yeah, I'm with you. Semra Hunter, host of La Liga <laughs> TV. Thank you so much for your time that this evening. That was great, Semra. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure. Thanks so much. Great insight, that is, from Semra Hunter. Do give her a follow on Instagram. She is host of La Liga TV there as well. She's just painted the picture she of has. exactly what is going on. And your worst nightmare could be coming true. Oh, Man Chris. City, no! <laughs> right, we now move to the world of tennis, where currently... We are building up towards the, a very different, oh. a very bizarre, a very surreal US Open at Flushing Meadows. And I'm delighted to say a very good friend of us joins us on the line. There's only really one place to start, Rima Baleo. Is Lionel Messi going to be a Barcelona player <laughs> come the start well, of the new season? Funny, <laughs> funny enough, uh, moments after Andy Murray lost his match to Raonic the other day, that was one of the first questions, and he was happy to talk about it. Yeah, I think it's one of those it's one of those debates that has transcended its sport. But let's talk tennis because, I mean, it's been a strange old week or it's been a strange old year. I think we spoke to you just after the pandemic became a reality, Reem, and and you okay. speculated that there may not be any Grand Slam action now. There is also this feeling that, that that perhaps there shouldn't be a Grand Slam next week, that the US Open shouldn't be being played. Where do you, where do you stand on that? I, I kind of said, and I know Navratilova has come out and said no asterisk, but with all the withdrawals, it, it does raise an eyebrow, doesn't it? I don't think that I, where I stand is, it's not about the withdrawals. For me... It's about what's going on in the States at the moment mm-hmm. on every level, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's, it's all the racial injustice, all of these things. For me personally, ha- having, having 500 players in a bubble competing in tennis when all of this is happening I, in, in the same country, I find it odd. I find it extreme. I find the fact that all of this testing is made available to, to players in New York, yet People who are sick in New York are not able to get their test results as fast. All of these things are, that's why I'm iffy about tennis being played at that scale at the moment, um, especially in a country that is still struggling very much with the pandemic. For me, the withdrawals are, are not a, as big of a deal as, as, as everything else, simply because, first of all, with the women's draw, there's been way more withdrawals than the men's. With the men's, Rogers having surgery, Rafa's opted out of US Open, but pretty much everyone else is there with the men. With the women, six of the top ten are not there. So it's more dramatic, I would say. Um, I think that this US Open has an asterisk anyway because of how it's being played, not just because of the withdrawals, but because of the fact that players are expected to stay in a bubble for two weeks and there's no fans. And we've seen it already with players who start trailing in a set and they're used to looking around them and getting energy from the crowd and there's literally nobody around them in a big stadium. Uh, we've seen it with players, someone like Ons Jabur was saying, I'm struggling because I'm bored. I'm used to at least going for a walk and now there's security outside the hotel telling me I can't do that. And I, I'm struggling. So like people are struggling for different reasons. Uh, some sound more serious than others. Um, 
And I think that that will make it a very difficult slam to win, especially that no one has played for five months. So imagine not playing for five months and then playing best of five in, in New York, in sticky, humid New York, because like weather usually is really bad at the San Diego. So I don't think that, the, I think, yes, some names are not there, but whoever wins, there's an asterisk because that person won at a time when everything going on is extremely insane. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that makes it harder. I think it makes it harder. Just because at the end of the day, you have to beat the player you're facing that day. You still have to win seven matches in 14 days. Um, it, and conditions are hard. Yeah, just on that point, Rima, I think it's a, a very valid and an interesting one that you've raised there regarding what is going on in the country of the US right now with racial injustice, etc. We saw Naomi Osaka, uh, someone who has become a bit of a totem pole for doing what she feels is right. And I think we would all agree, or at least the majority of us would agree, is right. She pulled out of her match at the Western and Southern Open. Just leading on then, do you expect with what is raging on uh, going on over in that country at the moment, before Monday starts, are you expecting in any way, shape or form more players similar to what we're seeing in the NBA bubble, similar to what we're seeing in Major League Baseball? Do you feel that there may be more tennis players that say, nope, we're not taking to the court because as you've just said, it's not right? I think that the conversations have started. I think that Milos Raonic last night, he was the only player who did press after uh, news of... um, Naomi's withdrawal uh, was announced, and he was very. He gave very, very strong statements that inside that would love for all the players to band, band together because he believes that to, be, to make a these statements, it has to be everybody. It can't be just. He's like, yes, uh, let's say the four semifinalists uh, at the Western and Southern Open all agree that he's one of them. All of us agree that we're not going to play. He says it's not that big of a deal. It's one day of play. It's one match. So. He, he would like to see, he says he wants to speak to everybody else. And from the reaction that I'm seeing online, whether it's Andy Murray, whether it's Nick Kyrgios, who's obviously not there, but he's been very loud and vocal in general throughout this entire hiatus. Um, I've seen so many players, Sloan Stevens, um, uh, so many, so many players have shared Naomi's post online and have um, supported her. Uh, and obviously we've seen that the tours and the USCA announced that today there is no play at the Western and Southern Open. The semi are supposed to be played today and they have a pause, which is unprecedented. That I, I think that, that's a huge as well. Even though it's one day, it's still something. And it just shows the power of Naomi Osaka because Naomi is the reason why the tourists did that. Naomi is the one who gave it the push, you know. So I think a lot of people will be encouraged to have these discussions in the next couple of days. I think it's a bit drastic to say that they won't play the U.S. Open simply because the amount of effort that was put in to make that tournament happen was crazy. From the bubbles back up to everything that the U.S. Open has done, they did everything possible to make it safe. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for that tournament to be played. But I think we will see different players act in different ways. Maybe some will pull out. Maybe some will. I'm not really sure how they'll do it, but I know that there are discussions happening as we speak between players about what they feel is right and what they feel that they need to do. It feels odd to be asking you a standard tennis question, really, Reem, after, after all this. I felt, honestly, I felt okay. the same way when I, have I was to, filing my piece. I have to like, ask I you was, about Nick Kyrgios, actually, because he's been an unlikely bastion for, yeah. you know, upstanding moral behaviour in all of this. He's been the one 
in the absence, in the in the silence, radio silence from, say, Roger Federer, for example. I know mm. Rafa has, I think, been using this time to to kind of embrace other aspects of his life. Obviously, just recently married and and enjoying that, and he seems to be in no rush to get back to the tour. So, it's really fallen upon Nick Kyrgios to to be kind of the the, the sort of uh, behavioural police, if you like. And then Novak Djokovic, of course, we talked about the uh, the very ill-conceived Adria Tor. He's come back very defiantly to say that he doesn't think that he should be the scapegoat, that it was all well-intentioned and that, you know, the international media have, have taken things out of context when when talking about his views on, for example, vaccination. Where do you stand on this? And is Nick Kyrgios the saviour we just didn't know we needed? <laughs> well, uh, I think I've been talking to you about this uh, for years, Robbie, <laughs> telling you that this is actually who Nick Kyrgios is, right or not? I think we should get some receipts <laughs> and look back at our conversations about Nick Kyrgios when I was telling you that he's a good dude. He's definitely a good dude. I mean, I didn't find this surprising. I think, first of all, for Nick, the time away from the tour is probably doing him good because we know that he finds it a grind and we know that for him, he wants to be home and wants to be around family. So... He's in a place where he, he actually, he's just talking common sense, honestly. Like, none of what he's saying is shocking, but it's just, what's shocking is the behavior of everybody else. Whether it's someone like Sasha Zverev, who promises that he'll isolate and then goes and parties and is filmed on camera partying. Like, th this is insane behavior. This is, this is unacceptable behavior. And I think that what Nick is doing is just, he's trying to hold these people accountable. Um, I, I personally am all for people speaking out if they're, if as long as it's not a stunt, I don't think it's a stunt. This is genuinely how he feels. And he's saying what a lot of us are saying, but he's actually the only player who's bold enough to do that. So I respect Nick for what he's doing. I'm not surprised that Novak didn't back down because I think we spoke about that last time and that, that he, he's quite a defiant person in general. That's, that's, that's what fuels him. So I wasn't surprised when I read that New York Times interview where he said, like, I would do it all over again. Um, it's, it's a weird time, and I think a lot of tennis players did not hold themselves to basically high standards in terms of behavior. So if, if I, I'm generalizing, but more players than not have done questionable things over the last five months. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Listen, Reem, last one from us, and then we've got to go. We are closing in on the end of our week here. I've got to ask, you know where I'm going with this, proud Scotsman as I am. Andy Murray, what a week he's enjoyed. Is he a dark horse? Give me some good news in my life, Reem. Is he a dark horse for the US Open next week? Look, it's best of five. I cannot, I cannot give you that hope. I'm sorry. <laughs> if it was best, I'm sorry. If it was best of three, I would have said yes. Uh, it's best of five. I think that so many players can give Andy a hard time in best of five at the moment simply because he hasn't played, not because of anything else. We've seen that his level is very high. We've seen him beat Sasha Zverev. Uh, he played very poorly against Raonich, and he was very upset at how poorly he played. I think the biggest takeaway from Andy's week is just how he's holding himself to high standards. He's saying that I have to believe that I can play, and then I'm quoting him, he said, best of the world standards. Because other than that, like, why would I be playing? And I think that was huge. The fact that he's talking with that much confidence is great. Uh, but no, I think that with best of five, obviously the draw is coming out later today, depending on the draw. But there are so many people, if they extend them to four or five sets, it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy for someone who hasn't played. 
I hadn't played since last November and just played these last this last week. So sorry, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, you Brilliant. make very salient points as always, Reem. Great to have you on, and uh, we'll let you get back to enjoying your evening and anticipating what will be, I'm sure, a very strange, a very bizarre couple of weeks of tennis at Flushing Meadow for the US Open. Listen, Reem, I'm sure this will not be the last time we speak to you over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good Always a up. pleasure. Always a pleasure, Reem. We thank Reem Abouil, who is coming live from Egypt. She's gone home. So Reem has. So we wish her well over there. And of course, she's just gutted that she's not going to be jetting over to Flushing Meadows. She is one of the best tennis correspondents. You've got to check her out. She's on Twitter. She is fantastic. Any breaking news, she's the first on it. Remabliel, we thank you. The semi-finals have been rescheduled to tomorrow, but there is still no confirmation as to whether Naomi Osaka will be taken to the court tomorrow. Of course, she is the one that pulled out of her semi-final due to her, I guess, strong feeling as to what is going on, going on over in the US. And whether she does take to the court tomorrow or not, we are still awaiting confirmation on that. The semi-finals, obviously, those uh, the, the players are happy to take part and will obviously take place, but... Mm. Regarding uh, Elise Mertens and Naomi Osaka, we need to wait and watch the space. Raul, thank you very much for getting in touch. Raul, just bemoaning the fact we don't have an, an extra hour to chat sport. It's been yeah. a long week. You and me both, weary. Raul. I'm still a bit sunburnt. I'm a bit sun. I'm a bit just sunbeaten. I think. Yeah, you a bit are. Weather beaten. It's the Community Shield this weekend, is it not? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Liverpool up against Arsenal and. The curtain raiser, the traditional curtain raiser for the Premier League, is uh, well coming two weeks before the football season returns once again. And I'm looking forward to it, Rob. You're going to ask for a prediction, aren't you? Uh, I wasn't going to, but I will now. Arsenal. Arsenal continuing their yeah, upturn I think form. So. I think so. It promises to be an interesting couple of weeks in oh, the world it of is. football. Going we'll to see obviously be signings. monitoring. I'm sure Lionel Messi's name will get a mention. I need to mention Chelsea have signed someone else today. Malang Sarr, the young Frenchman, wow. has joined on a five-year deal on a free. They're not hanging around, are they, Chelsea? No, Unlike Manchester United. Oh. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.